It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Good afternoon. Warm welcome to you from all of us here at Ausbiz. This is The Call. Ten stocks picked by you, two expert guests, all in the course of an hour. And this one is a bit of a special edition of The Call. All of the stocks today have been chosen by the ASX NZX Stock Investors Facebook group. So welcome to those of you from that group who are watching or listening in today. We've got great experts lined up for you. Joining me here in studio is Ben Clark from TMS Capital. Good afternoon. Good Hello, day. Ben. Hey, Nadine. And we've also got Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool joining us from beautiful Bowel, New South Wales. Hey, Scott, how's it going there? Nadine, Ben, I'm very well. The sun is out. It's a little bit cool, but uh, looking forward to a great hour. Yeah, me too. Look, normally we do a little bit of banter about markets in general right now, <laughs> but I'm just going to get to it today because we've got such a good program lined awesome. up. Uh, today, we will be talking about the stocks that have been nominated by the ASX NZX Facebook Investors Group, and that is BHP, CBA, New Hope, Hope I should say, CSL, and Bank of Queensland. So that's in the first half of the program. And for those of you new to the program, each day we nominate a stock of the day, and today it is Seek. So it's reaffirmed its guidance at a bit of an update that it's holding for investors today. It says that earnings will come in approximately at $560 million for the year, net profit of about $250 million. So remaining and really sticking with its previous guidance. However, it also mentioned that revenue for the full year may be slightly lower due to the continued moderation of job ads volume. So that is probably why we're seeing the stock yeah, getting hit today. It's uh, one of the worst performers on market, at least at this stage. It's down by about 2%. So I'm going to start with my guest in studio, Ben Clark from TMS Capital. When you think about Seek, yeah. um, solid business, plenty of tech behind it, but still at the mercy of economic cycles. It is. They actually, I've, I've, I've had a look through that investor presentation this morning and there's some really good charts. They are at the mercy of economic cycle in Australia. It's actually a new slide. I'm, I'm a bit of a seek tragic, as you know, Nadine. So, um, but, um, you know, higher unemployment rate, if that's going along the x-axis, you certainly see a moderation of drop and the RBA will like what Seek's said today. But uh, in the emerging countries, that's not the case because the uh, move from you know a job in a in a paper or through a recruitment agent or whatever that, that they're still in their earlier stages of digitizing that process and the 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 growth that they're getting is you know sort of overcoming uh the short term so the structural growth's overcoming the cyclical uh so look up you know it's like they they warned we're talking about against a, a 1.25 billion dollar revenue guidance that might come in 15 million dollars lower so that's pretty small and they said you know, there'll be a, a, a slight reduction in CapEx, which will mean that the EBIT line will still be hit. The, the interesting thing Seek have been doing for the last three years is they've been 
um, amalgamating their platform right throughout Asia, Southeast Asia. Uh, so, you know, they had a, a, a Seek platform, digital platform for Australia, and then they have one for Indonesia, and then they have one, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so they have spent a lot of money over the last couple of years effectively becoming a one platform business. And I think, you know, that's forecast to end next year, the spend on that. And that's when you might start to see, I think, the really strong earnings growth coming back for the business as the CapEx spend drops away. So it is today trading at 2360, roundabout yeah. there. Buy, hold or sell today? Uh, I think it's probably a hold at the moment just because I think that the uncertainty around, you know, the employment market looking forward, that's not going to sort of dissolve anytime soon. But there's still these great structural tailwinds going through into their Asian businesses, which actually Ian Narev caught out you know, it was kind of like we'd back, like, you know, they, they really suffered during mm-hmm. COVID, Brazil and places like that. So I would definitely continue to hold it. And it's probably one you buy on a dip from this stage, if you can. Which we could get given the market volatility and the yeah, pullbacks that we this do morning. see in it's tech. Yeah, 5% this morning. Absolutely. All right, let's go to Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Scott, when you think of Seek, are you thinking about the international upside there? That's a very good question. Uh, look, Ben has covered the details perfectly, so I'll get straight to your question, which is, yes, to some degree, I see the international growth business as an attractive part of the overall Seek platform, but I wouldn't necessarily put a huge amount of value in it. I, it's not exactly a free upside because you're paying a pretty penny for Seek shares today. Uh, but if you're pinning your hopes on that uh, only or predominantly, I do think that might be a risky way to approach the business overall, by which I mean, the cash cow business here at home is very, very, very good. So it's not just an international growth story. The international growth story, if they make it work, is where the cream comes on top of this investment. This is the, you know, this is the, not exactly pure upside, but very large amounts of upside. To Ben's point, if they can consolidate the costs and then grow the revenues, this has been one of the big challenges for REA, for Seek. Um, uh, you know, car sales tried that thing. Remember iCar Asia, the deal I had with that. Frontier Digital Ventures also trying to get this classifieds model, which has been absolutely just just so beautifully done by those three big guys. Um, yet they haven't been able to really get massive, massive traction overseas. That's partly because the overseas markets are where they are, but it's probably a reminder just to be a little bit mindful of that one. Uh, I remember back in the day, Coca-Cola Amateur was a great you know, store on the Indonesian growth possibility, billion people in Indonesia, all that kind of stuff, and just really never mm-hmm. quite got up to speed. So I like the seek growth opportunity. I like the international business. I'm glad they're doing it. It's the right thing to do. I I would be cautious on how much value you impute on that. And to Ben's okay. point, I think it's a hold as well for exactly that reason. It's not cheap enough to be obviously a slam dunk. Um, I absolutely wouldn't sell. It's one of the very highest quality businesses on the ASX. But that international potential has to start delivering at some point um, to make it a buy again, or as Ben says, a meaningful share price drop. Wonderful. All right, guys, that is a stock of the day seek, and that's a hold from both of our guests. Well, for this special edition of the call, we welcome the founder of the ANZ NZX Stock Investors Group, Dan Nikolovsky. Dan, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us here on Ausbiz. Just tell us a little bit about this uh, Facebook community that you've built and, and why you built it. Uh, built it about 10 years ago, mainly saw a bit of a gap in the in the market there. Um, a lot of the groups were either focused on um, trading or really speculative stocks. So I made it very clear in the rules that, you know, we don't talk about short-term trading. 
um, and we don't talk about um, speculative stocks and focus on on that long-term investing. And I think um, that's kind of carved out a niche for the group. Yeah, I did notice the group rules was that you're not talking about, you know, this share price is up 50% today. Is it going to go higher? You know, you've got the ground rules laid out quite well. Um, So your team, your group, your community has picked the 10 stocks we're going to cover today. Uh, What brought about this list? How'd you go about deciding on these? Oh, we did a poll. I have to apologize for my camera too. I'm at work. No, that's okay. I've got my phone propped up. <laughs> but um, we did a we did a poll, um, and yeah, everyone just just voted for their favorite stocks. Um, and yeah, we got a lot of the old stalwarts like CBA and, and BHP, but a few interesting ones there too. Yeah. All right, Dan. Well, listen, I don't want to uh, take up too much time because we do have a lot to discuss and we lined up a cracker panel for you and your community so yeah hope you enjoy the program we'll get on with it thank Thank you. you thanks all right as dan said first stock of the day is bhp one we know and many love but scott i mean bhp is trading up around record highs perhaps not quite today uh future focused really investing in some of those uh, minerals and metals that will help decarbonize Mm. the economy. But look, it's the old school iron ore that is still such a big part of the story. Would you be buying BHP now? So Nadine, you make a really good point. And there's two things I think to keep in mind. The first is share price is riding very high. The second is despite that, the P is still under 10 times earnings, nine point or nine times earnings on my numbers with a 7.8% fully frank trailing yield. That is a remarkable set of circumstances when you throw all those three things together and say, wow, something's going on. There is, look, I, you know, our job as stock pickers is to find areas where the market's wrong, but the market's not that wrong that often. And so what the market is doing right now with BHP is saying, I'm not sure the past success is able to be continued at a meaningful level. If it was, this is a slam dunk. If you could buy BHP for nine times fundamental operating earnings, underlying earnings, or underlying earnings power, as I like to call it, uh, then you do that every single day of the week. The, the question, I think, or the the, uh, the verdict of, from the market uh, is that BHP's earnings aren't sustainable at these levels. And so you're expecting some sort of moderation. At that point, what happens to the PE and what happens to the share price? So there, there is a there is an old saw with, uh, with miners that you want to buy at high PEs, not low, because that implies earnings are unusually low, hence the high PE, but you get the recovery back through. Now, I don't think you necessarily need to take that to heart um, as with everything, if everyone's already doing it, then there's no opportunity there. So you want to be a little bit careful. But it's just a reminder of how volatile these companies can be. BHP's done a spectacular job. I'm pretty sure it's market beating over the last 10 or 15 years. Um, so you know, of of the of the big miners, we'll talk about a couple today. Uh, I think it's probably the highest quality diversified miner. It's not that diversified, of course, but diversifying miner on the ASX. Um, I own some Fortescue shares, by the way. I think that's pretty good as well. I'm not prepared to pay. Uh, a high price for BHP based on that uncertainty of future earnings. If you're going to buy miners, my view personally as a long-term investor, is you want to buy them when the earnings are low based on a low commodity price. Why? Uh, do I like low prices? No. Uh, what I like about that is that it minimizes the downside risk. The price can always go lower, commodity mm-hmm. prices that is. So you're always going to be mindful of that. But at bottom end of of, of a likely range of, of commodity prices, when you're close to the marginal cost of production, you've got very, very small downside, still there, obviously, and share price can go anywhere in the meantime. The upside, though, is is, is very, very large. So in, in, a, in, a, in a sense of comparing the risk and reward, you're getting what we call asymmetric potential outcome. When earnings are very high, the share price is already very high, 
the commodity price is higher, uh, not sorry, at record levels, but higher, yep. um, it does say to you there's probably a risk of downside. And again, think about the risk and reward, how much upside potential is there? Maybe a bit, maybe even a lot. How much downside risk is there? Again, maybe a lot. Um, that doesn't strike me as one that's in our favor. So uh, if you own it, I probably wouldn't sell it. You'd be happy with the dividend. You probably like the business. You probably like the quality. So by all means, hang on to it. But I wouldn't buy it to those prices. Thanks, Scott. Ben, Macquarie for one says that it is you know, the, the best amongst the large cap miners. Yeah. Um, Look, is it difficult for you to pay up big for miners at this stage of the cycle? But the iron ore price keeps going higher. And it does, and it's not expensive, going back to Scott's comments. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you look at a consensus forecast at FY24, um, the market's got it on a kind of 11 times and a 6.5% fully frank dividend yield. So, you know, that's quite a bit higher than what the numbers Scott's quoted. And that's probably because the analysts are using much lower... Um, commodity price assumptions than the the spot prices are currently trading at the moment, which is to me a good sign, you know, because that that tells me potentially if spot prices hold up, there's upgrades that will come through from the analysts, and this stock's actually a lot cheaper than it looks on its forward on its forward consensus numbers. So, I think BHP's a buy. Um, I think. You, you just got to look at the reopening that's happened in every country across the globe, the boom that we've seen. I'm, I'm sure that the China reopen is still a, a, a very investable theme. And it's not going to be such a short term sugar hit because I think the government's going to want to really accelerate the economy, um, which will be a multi year sort of journey. And, you know, one other thing I just call out, sort of Scott alluded to it there, is I, I go around and listen to a lot of different hedge fund managers all over the world and try and listen to their ideas and copper is just an idea that yeah. keeps coming up everywhere and there is I think you know Ivan Glassenberg the guy who founded Glencore said last year that um, the world produces 30 million tons of copper per annum and in by 2050 we're going to need to produce 60 million tons I, I can't see that the copper price is not going to do well over the next decade it's a longer term story but um, you know who knows what it does in the next year BHP is a very big producer of copper. About a third of its earnings will come from copper after the Oz Minerals acquisition. So um, I'll go buy Nadine. Noted. All right. Let's get on to the next stock, which is CBA, the good old Commonwealth Bank of Australia, as nominated by the ANZ, NZX, Facebook group. So we had UBS coming out, Ben, last week, uh, Mm. rejigging its view on Aussie banks. And when I'm looking at the ratings from the brokers on CBA, I've got a neutral from UBS, underweight Morgan Stanley, underweight Macquarie, a hold coming through from Ords and Morgans, and City is a sell. Yeah. I've been working in this industry for 20 years. I reckon CBAs have more sells on it than any other bank, and it's been by a mile the best performing bank. <laughs> so it just shows, like, it's that age-old thing, like, quality doesn't come cheap. And, you know, how often have we seen all the, the analysts lined up on ANZ and Westpac as examples and NAB for many years, and, you know, CBAs just kept on going. And CBA, we've spoken on the show before, it has an unnatural advantage over the other banks where um, it... You know, if it lends me a million dollars for a home loan, about a third of that comes from its deposit base and it only has to borrow the two thirds difference, whereas the other banks have much lower deposit bases. So they've then got to match CBA's mortgage rates and they earn weaker margins. And that's where the um, the market's concern is at the moment is margins. You know, mm-hmm. we've got a lot of uh, uh, home loans that are rolling off fixed rates this year. 
Every bus I've seen drive past has got a mortgage choice or an Aussie home loans thing saying if you're ref you know, refinanced, mm -hmm. now's the time. So, and we're hearing that banks are very aggressive with their costs, with their, the offers that they're making, hoping that consumers will stick on with them. So there's some margin pressure at the moment. CBA doesn't look cheap, Nadine, but it never has. And it, I don't know if it really ever will. It's trading on 17 times forward earnings and a 4.5% fully frank yield. Uh, so I'll go a hold. Um, because I'd be amazed if it's not the best performing bank out of the big four over the next decade, but it's not cheap at the moment and there are some earnings issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and economic headwinds, as you mentioned, and just a bit of uncertainty around the banking space in general. I mean, we're very different than the US banks, very different than yeah. the European banks, but you do feel that ripple effect. But the question too, Scott, is do you need to buy a bank? I mean, I'm told time and time again from advisors that they can't get their clients to ever sell the banks, even when they're up around record highs. We have exposure to the banks largely through our super funds at the very least. I mean, do you need to buy a bank, particularly if you own a property here in Australia? Yeah, absolutely not. Uh, I, I rail regularly against the Noah's Ark idea of investing, you know, two of everything. Uh, you really don't need something just because it exists on the market. Now, I will say with the banks and the finance companies being around a third of our market, give or take, I haven't done the numbers recently, but that's close enough to, to roughly right. Um, you are, if you don't own them, going to have a much more, a much more different uh, outcome investing wise, generally speaking, because you're not going to, your portfolio is not going to move with the market. Now that's okay for those of us who like that or who don't mind that. Now, just bear in mind that if you don't own, say the banks and the miners, for example, together are probably about half of the ASX, you're just going to get a very different result. Over, the, over 2022, for example, uh, which are technology down by a third, oil up by a third. If you were heavy in energy stocks, you did spectacularly well. If you had a lot of tech, you did terribly. So, you know, and we shouldn't be scared of that necessarily, but there are some people, probably including some of our viewers, who really don't like it when the market goes up and they don't. So if you, if you want some sort of market-ish return, you probably want to have some banks, but that's not necessarily a good enough reason, theoretically at least, to own them. And I don't think you do. You just simply don't need to buy the banks if you don't want to have them. Uh, I, I think Ben's absolutely right about CBA's performance. It has been spectacularly good. What worries me a little bit is that um, it's been spectacularly good because it has been the best deposit bank, as Ben's already said, and also has had the best performance in mortgages, home loans. Now, it's been a remarkable, don't to tell anybody, 30, 35 years for home home price growth and if you were a if you were the dominant bank in mortgages you should have done best in fact we should be talking about you know if they hadn't done this well they should be disappointed it doesn't mean they haven't been run well but if you couldn't make money being the best and be the best bank in that circumstance uh, then maybe questions should have been asked i raise that because the question really comes down to how much is the future likely to look like the past if it does i think ben's absolutely right you know cba should be if that is if that remains the case the dominant bank if though, for example, mortgages do start to flatten off, house prices start to flatten off, if business lending reasserts itself as the growth area for mm -hmm. banking, then while Commonwealth Bank's got a good banking operation, it's not necessarily the, the size proportionally of some of the others. And so you are kind of, even though the, you, know, you can throw a blanket over the banks generally, a handkerchief over the banks generally, in terms of the way they move their market shares, we have a, a four bank oligopoly in the country, let's be honest. But if we do start to see um, other areas, other segments of banking uh, become more important or grow more quickly, it actually might mean Commonwealth Bank ends up not doing as well in the future as it has in the past. 
I can't buy CBA at 17 times earnings. I just can't. It's yeah. it, it, there's it, given the circumstances, given the risk, given the alternatives, uh, I may well be leaving money on the table. To Ben's point, there's been so many sells on it for years. Um, again, if I held it, I probably wouldn't sell it. Though I would say to every viewer, as you've already said, Nadine, you know, advisors can't get their clients to sell the banks. Think about how exposed you are to the banking sector generally, mm-hmm. not from a big, you know, almighty crash, just generally. What okay. if the price doesn't do particularly well? You're in, you're in some trouble there. So you're holding. Got it. Thank you. I, yeah. All right. With the caveat, we get it. All right. Let's get to the next company on the list: New Hope Corporation, Coal. But Ben, I had a chat with the Morningstar analyst last week who said she reckons it's still below fair value. She yep. does not see the world, particularly Asia, weaning itself off of the cleaner coal yep. the New Hope spits out. What do you think? I think she's right. Um, but what does that mean? Coal could be $150 a ton or $250 a ton. Both are extraordinary prices. So. This is a really tricky one because the coal prices moved so aggressively over the last 12 months. Trying to work out what the valuation of this business is is almost, I would say, impossible. Mm-hmm. At the start of the year, coal thermal coal was trading at 400 US dollars ton. It's now trading at 200, and it's up 20 dollars today. So you know it had more than halved in three months, and. If you look at backward-looking numbers, and you hope just reported their result, and it was an absolute cracker. cracker. <laughs> um, they've got a billion dollars in cash, no, no debt. Uh, they earned like a billion dollars in underlying EBITDA in one half, which probably backward-looking had them on a P of two. If you strip out the cash, looking forward, they're probably on a P of like six or seven, maybe, because that coal price in the current year is going to be significantly lower but still very profitable for them. So um, I'll sit on the fence at this one, Nadine. It looks very cheap. It's still gonna pay a really nice dividend, minimum 10%, I'd say, unless the coal price continues to fall over. And they should be buying their shares back as aggressively they can. If you're worried a bit about the single stock, Solpats, Brickworks, both have exposure to this business. Um, Brickies is by far the cheaper of the two at the moment. Um, and maybe that's one that you can own a collection of businesses with a, an outsized position in New Hope and a good manager. Okay, so there's an alternative idea, but if you had New Hope, you wouldn't be selling now, I'd, would you? I'd be holding for sure now. And, um, you know, it's a, it has put on nearly a dollar yeah. in the last week or something. It's doing really well today as well. Scott, just a quick one on New Hope. Um, do you hold it now in anticipation mm. of keeping your eye on that coal price and getting out when the tide seems to turn? Cool, well, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a, a trader in a dean, so I wouldn't be trying to speculate on the coal price personally. Um, I will try and keep it quick. I like Ben's point about Solpats and Brickworks. I own them both, so full disclosure, I'm indirectly exposed to New Hope anyway. Um, I actually quite like the New Hope Coal share price at this, at this price. I've not bought it before. I've never owned New Hope Coal. You are taking an absolute risk on two things, the coal price we've mentioned and whether or not there are policy changes uh, in terms of what New Hope is allowed to continue doing. Like Whitehaven Coal, and I love Ben's point about the buybacks, the only question, almost the only question, for these two companies is, what do they do with the cash? If it's all given back to shareholders, fantastic. If it's reinvested, if it's share buybacks, fantastic. The problem is at the end of the day, if coal doesn't have a future long-term, you're playing chicken with a with a zero at the end of the end of the story. Now, is it five years, 10 years, 100 years away? I don't know, you don't know, no one knows. You just said, no, you're taking that very significant risk. Climate change aside, policy will drive what happens here. 
Um, if they do buy back their shares, frankly, I'd, I'd like to see very, very large special dividends because buying back the share still concentrates what's left in the business that's left. And if it ends up being worth zero, then the last person who owned the shares still gets nothing no matter how much is bought back in the meantime. Uh, particularly if there's no new coal mines, for example, allowed, then all we're doing is looking at a wasting asset, which is fine, but it's worth some price, probably less than today. If they continue to use those shares and buy them back, again, you end up with more of a less valuable asset. So I'd love to see some more capital allocation decisions, whether that's diversification, whether it's special dividends. I think realistically, they should be running this business as if there is a risk it's worth nothing at the end. And so all you should do is run it for cash. Uh, they would probably take a different view and policy and politics aside, that might be reasonable. I would buy it if I felt good about the capital allocation decisions. I like the team at New Hope. I like the team very much at Soul Pats. Uh, who own the, the, the cross shareholding or the, the shareholding in New Hope. So um, I would, I'm going to say to buy at the current price. Uh, just be very, very, very careful and mindful that if they ca- allocate the capital from here badly, mm-hmm. it's still going to end up being worth closer to zero than the current price. That's every miner. In fact, that's every company. Hey, <laughs> listen, uh, when I was speaking, the woman's name was Esther Holloway from Morningstar. Um, she was saying that royalties is probably the biggest policy threat to New Hope. If you would like to catch up with that interview, you can do so online, osbiz.com.au. When you subscribe, which is free, uh, you can follow companies or expert guests if you like what Ben or Scott has to say. But if you follow companies, and you can, if you choose, be alerted when we take a deep dive into some of these specific companies. So if you would like to hear those comments from Morningstar on New Hope, you can just search New Hope or Morningstar on the site and it should bring you there. Let's get to another big blue chip. Boy, this research has been pretty easy for me today. I don't know about you guys, (laughs) but love it all the same. CSL, Scott, I'll start with you, CSL. Um, Look, big business in the US, some say big upside still in the US after a pretty rough couple of years. Uh, never heard of it. So yes, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, no. Look, it, you know, it, it is nice to be able to cover some of the big companies, and it is a reminder, of course, that that's what a lot of investors, particularly in the Facebook group, really, really like to talk about, which is which is awesome. I'm going to be controversial, mate. I'm going to say CSL as a sell, um, and here's here's the very simple reason why you're paying 41 times earnings for a business that's grown its earnings in total by 50% over the last four or five years. Now, the math simply doesn't work out. If you're paying 40 something times earnings. You need a very, very strong earnings growth profile. It simply isn't there. Now, it's had a high PE for years, and it's had a high PE because it's had a high PE, and that's convinced us all that it'll always have a high PE. Now, if it does, then it's not a sell, right? If, if this PE goes higher or stays this high, and the underlying earnings are okay, you'll do okay. If, for example, a market side's worth 30 times earnings all of a sudden, there goes 25% of your share price. And at the rate of earnings growth, you're not going to get enough fundamental business growth to pay back that potential loss. So am I sure, am I predicting a fall? No. Do I want to buy a business growing only very moderately and pay 40 times for that, no matter what its quality is? No, I I don't think I do. So I mean, there is a price. Would I pay 25 times earnings for CSL? Yes. Would I pay 30? Maybe. Do I pay 40? No, I won't. Um, Again, maybe I miss out. That's fine. You've only got to, when you're investing, take a view as to how you want to invest, what you believe the, the, the valuation metric should be and what the fundamentals should tell you to do. You're always going to miss the occasional winner because you you don't buy those ones. Hopefully, you miss more losers. That's the idea of having a portfolio and running your your, your portfolio that way. So I like the business. It is a very high quality business. I'd love to own it at the right price. I'm not paying 40 times earnings. If I owned it today, honestly, I would sell it. 
Um, you've probably done pretty well, hopefully, in which case, great, congratulations. Uh, there's got to be many, many, many better places than CSL on the market based on those fundamentals. And again, um, based on probabilities, you're probably better off with those than CSL. Well, don't know if I was expecting that, Scott. Ben, it's a very <laughs> rare, rare conversation I have where people say sell CSL. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's good to get differing opinions. <laughs> I'm going the other way. I'm going yeah. by. Um, uh, I've got it on 28 times forward earnings, so that's FY24 earnings. So I don't, I don't think it's as expensive as as Scott's saying there. I'm, I know on backward looking, it probably is. The thing I'd say, Nadine, is, and he's right in that for three or four years we've seen quite low earnings growth from the business, which is trading on high multiple, but. Everyone thought CSL would probably be the best business you could own through COVID. And of course, it was like a perfect storm for them. Yeah, they manufactured the vaccines, flu shots, and we, you know, the governments mm-hmm. bought those in droves. But the, the line, the engine room of the CSL business is bearing, which is the blood and plasma collection business across the United States, 1,300 collection centers. And it was actually the perfect storm for them because... Um, Unfortunately, like in America, you can get paid to donate yeah. your blood. Poor people donate their blood. They got stimulus checks left, right, and center. They de- did. They didn't have health insurance, so they felt unsafe. You know, if you got COVID in America during those early years, you good chance you could die if you didn't have health insurance. So the volumes that CSL were collecting. The other big thing was that most of these centers are on the border with Mexico. Yeah. There's a visa that allows Mexicans to go into America, donate blood, go shopping for a few hours and then come back. They, they got put on hold because they didn't want transmission. So volumes hammered um, and margins hammered because the costs of running the centers went up. They had to pay more per, for each liter of blood, etc. In the February result, volumes for the first time are back to 2019 levels. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, but the margins are still recovering and it's probably another year or two until you get back to 58% gross margins on that collection business. But I think you're gonna see um, volumes start to re-accelerate, margins accelerate, and you're gonna see earnings really accelerate in coming years. And um, for that reason, it's buy. It's a buy below $300 as well. Do you remember speaking about CSL around $200? Yeah, and really and expensive 100 then. and <laughs> 50. Um, I remember oh, you know, the, the last perfect storm was September 11 for yeah. CSL when planes flew into the building, Americans donated blood for free in droves. And it was, again, like almost the perfect storm that you never could have seen coming. So there you go, everyone watching and listening. We've got uh, a sell on CSL and a buy. So do your own research. This is when I remind you, this is information only. This is not financial advice. This is not tailored to your own personal circumstances. So just remember that do your own research or get financial advice if you need it. Now, number five on the list is Bank of Queensland. So we've had this conversation around CBA, Ben. Mm. Is there a reason to have exposure to the regional banks, particularly one like Bank of Queensland? We've had the CEO step down. They've got, yeah. you know, obviously a change Issues. happening at the helm. Yeah. What do you think? I think normally no. I think now yes, because they're so cheap. Like I was looking at the numbers. BOQ is trading forward earnings nine times. I reckon market's probably pretty conservative on its forward earnings estimate, so it might even be a bit lower than that. fully franc yield, you're getting about 11%. We've seen these issues with regional and very small banks in America, which have um, hit our regional bank share prices much harder. It's not gonna happen here. Yeah, there's a battle for margins and it's even harder for the regional banks versus the big four, um, just it is for the other three versus CBA, but it's 
so cheap, you know, and um, I, 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 I think it's probably an opportunity, you know, and um, it's not one I'd then hold for the next five years. If I, there was a time that BOQ went back to trading on a, you know, sort of 11 to maybe 11 and a half times earnings, you'd, you'd get back out of it. But um, I can't help but think that this is probably a buying opportunity because, um, you know, if you're of, of a view that these banking issues globally are contained, which I am, you look at where that share price is back to now, looks, um, I reckon it looks pretty interesting. So I'll go buy. Okay, buy for Bank of Queensland. Boy, Scott, rising competition, a competition for deposits, likely higher bad debts, and um, you know tightening regulation, perhaps maybe not here to the same degree as overseas. But it sounds like a pretty tough environment to me for Bank of Queensland. Yeah, and then you've got regional uh, concentration, right? Your Bank of Queensland kind of gives the game away. Now, if Queensland does fantastically well, BOQ is probably going to do better than average. If Queensland doesn't do quite so well, I don't have a particular view, but the risk you're taking on that on that geographic concentration is, uh, you know, a double-edged sword. Maybe it's great, maybe it's terrible, maybe it's somewhere in between. It probably is. So, yeah, you're right. Those are the absolute risks for the banking sector. It's why, by the way, just very quickly, you put those risks out and say, you want to pay 17 times for CBA on that basis. Uh, I can't get anywhere close to it, but I agree with that on BOQ. We were diametrically opposed on CSL. We're a unity ticket on BOQ. <laughs> as long as, I'm gonna, let, let me be really, really clear. We talked about portfolios before, right? If you own, if 65% of your portfolio is big four banks, don't add BOQ. Again, we can't give personal advice to you said, Nadine, but there's so much concentration, so many retail shareholders' portfolios because of the 80s, 90s, early noughties, maybe even the 10s um, success of, of the banks. They feel like these bulletproof things, despite the fact over the past five or seven years, They've been really, really, really ordinary investments. So that, that kind of, you know, the halo effect still burns pretty brightly. Don't have BOQ to a bank heavy portfolio. But um, yeah, I, I don't see how this is not, if you if you like the banks at all, um, and you look at BOQ at that sort of right. Now, can earnings fall? Yes. Will they probably at some point in the next 18 months? Very possibly yes, because um, you've just talked about some mm-hmm. of the risks that, that confront the banking sector. On the, out, on the other side of that though, if BOQ doesn't go broke in the meantime, and I say that partly in jest, but partly seriously, you know, it wasn't that long ago, Westpac and ANZ were in trouble in the early 1990s. It's a long time ago, but I'm old, so let me go with it. Uh, but the opportunity for, for the other side of this is, let's go post a downturn and say, if you could have bought BOQ at single digit PE, even with the next 10, 12, 18 months being a little rougher than usual, and come at the other side when the recovery comes back and continues on, you look back at BOQ share price in early 2023 and say, man, you knock back an 8% dividend as Ben's already said, 11% grossed up uh, because the next 18 months might be rocky. Um, I reckon that would have been a, a mistake. So yeah, I'm with Ben. Uh, be very cognizant of the risks, have a diversified portfolio, but BOQ yep. is a buy. <clears throat> Two buys. So you know what that means. Well, if you don't, I'll tell you when we filter <laughs> the stocks through this program. If something gets a two buys, it then goes to our investment committee. And our investment committee here at AusBiz is made up by some of our stalwarts, including Ben Clark. Uh, They then consider whether or not it goes into the AusBiz portfolio. And uh, look, we've got a new edition of the investment committee going live today at 4.15, will be streamed on AusBiz, and then it will be put up as catch up on our website, ausbiz.com.au. So this is an interesting one. Next time the investment committee meets, they will be considering Bank of Queensland. We are at the halfway mark. What we do now is sum up what we've learned so far. Seek, it is a hold. 
from both of my guests. Ben really likes this company. He just wants to get it a bit cheaper. And I think that's the same thing for Scott as well. Loves it, just buy it cheaper. BHP, it's a buy for Ben. He really looks to that copper story and the China reopening. Look, Scott says it's high quality. He's just not willing to pay up for BHP. He likes getting these companies when the share price is low. CBA, it is a hold from both of my guests. New Hope, it is a hold for Ben. Um, look, he would prefer to gain exposure to New Hope through two of his existing holdings. So that's Washington H. Sold Pats and Brickwork. Same goes for Scott Phillips, but he has a buy on New Hope. He just says you've got to be very cognizant of what's going on in terms of policy as well as price for coal. CSL, these guys might want to take it at the back, but it is a sell for Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He, if he owned it, he just says, you know, you want to take those profits invested as, elsewhere. And he's not paying 40 times on his numbers for the company now. It's a buy for Ben. You heard why. 28 times forward uh, for FY24 on his view. And he just thinks that it's, it's faced a perfect storm. There's only one way and that's up. And Bank of Queensland, it's a buy from both of my guests. And you've just heard why. So you heard me talking about this uh, portfolio. It's determined by the investment committee. That new episode will be live streamed at 4.15. Here is what it looks like now. Obviously subject to immediate change once this episode goes live. And as far as the performance, so the fund that we have been tracking since March of 2022 is up by 10% on a cumulative return basis since its inception back then, March 2022. So just a reminder to watch Ausbiz this afternoon to find out what is still in the portfolio or what is out. Also, you'll notice we were sitting on a pretty chunky 11.2% cash. I wonder, I wonder if now is the time that some of that cash is going to be deployed. <clears throat> you'll have to wait to find out. Let's get to the other companies. The next five on the list, Pilbara Minerals, so a hot sector of the market. Rio Tinto, another big cap miner. Megaport, that's an interesting one lately. Supply Network and Cube. All right, kicking it off with Pilbara Minerals. This is for the ASX, NZX, uh, Facebook Investors Group. <clears throat> I'll start with you, Scott, shall we? Pilbara Minerals, I mean, the whole lithium space has just been mm -hmm. an obsession for most investors over the past year or so. Last week, yep. that massive bid coming through from Arbormile. Uh, many people questioning why, you know, why Pilbara hasn't been a massive takeover target. What do you think? Yeah, it's a very good question, actually, because there is plenty of money out there chasing lithium right now. Uh, mate, I'm going to say I'm a sell. And I'm not a sell because I know this is going to go badly, but because we've talked before about uh, what happens when prices move differently. We talk about coal, we talk about iron ore. I'm far from convinced the market's excitement about lithium prices, not volumes, prices, is sustainable. I want to give you a really quick fact about oil as a, as a parallel. I'll be, I'll be pretty quick, but here's the thing. So not, no oil, no, no conventional oil drilled in 1990 around the world. By 1920, we had 500 million barrels of oil. By 1955, 5 billion, 10 billion by 1964. Roughly today, last time I got this data, 35 billion barrels of oil. That's a 70-fold increase in volumes over 100 years, okay? Now, that adjusted for inflation on a price basis, the oil price is up roughly two times. So you say, hang on, we've had a 70-fold increase, and, and, not, and that's like, you know, it's almost understated. 34 and a half billion more barrels a day produced today compared to 1920, and yet the price only doubled. Now, I make that point because people look at lithium and say, well, obviously volumes are going up. Obviously there's EVs and batteries and other things. Obviously on more of it, 
Therefore, these things are obviously a good idea. Now, if you look at the doubling of the oil price, ask yourself what the cost would have been as this got harder and harder and harder to get. Now, we're not necessarily buying Pilbara with a 100-year price or time horizon, so I don't have any view. Uh, but that's almost the point. Because of the oil example, you look at Pilbara and say, won't volumes go up, Scott? Aren't you paying attention? Yeah, absolutely I am. I think volumes will continue to rise. Now, there is, by the way, a chance that the next battery technology is not lithium-ion, it's something else. And maybe lithium is yesterday's NICAD battery. So that's always a, an out-there possibility. I'm not an industrial chemist, so I don't know mm -hmm. the answer to that. Uh, but that's possible. But look at the price and say, how confident are you if volumes continue to grow at this rate, they, they only can happen because more mines are opened or more wells are drilled in oil's case, more mines are, are dug uh, and commercially uh, run for, for lithium. How confident are you today's prices are the prices that are going to determine how much money you make from these investments? The answer for me is I have zero confidence. There is absolutely no way to look three, five, ten years into the future, even if you get the volume numbers right, to know what the price is going to be. And on that basis, at best, I think lithium is intelligent speculation right now. And it's going to put some noses out of joint. That's okay. Um, so I just I just can't recommend buying Pilbara. Now, if I can't recommend buying it, you just hold it anyway. If you're a true believer and you think I'm wrong, then absolutely knock yourself out. If you are like I am, putting it in the too hard basket, then you say, well, hang on, why would you have money in the too hard pile if you can have money in the buy pile instead, things you have a higher degree of confidence mm -hmm. in. And so that kind of, from my, to my mind, that's what makes most things a sell, not because I know for sure they're gonna underperform the market or lose you money, but because I've got a finite amount of capital, so over all of our viewers, and you wanna put that capital in the best places possible, for me, Pilbara can't be one of those okay. companies. So sell, opportunity, cost lost. Um, I'm gonna have to ask you for a buy at the end of the program. Sorry, Scott. Ben, <laughs> Pilbara is Pilbara. making a lot of money. A Why of wouldn't money. I want to be invested in a company that's making a lot of cash? Yeah, I mean, like that dividend announcement at their half yearly was a massive surprise. They're on a they're on a forward yield of four percent, fully franked. This this company was burning cash a couple of years ago as they got you know mines into development and that sort of thing. It's on a forward P at five, but as Scott definitely alluded to there. Who knows what the lithium price yeah. is going to be next year and what they actually end up earning. So I'm going to go a hold because it is cheap. I think it has been very well run. Like they've probably seen from my sort of more inexperienced in this area, they seem to have got that mine online and into production with less issues than some of their competitors. The Lion Town thing is a big deal. Yeah. Albemarle are very smart and they've had experience in this sector for decades. And I was amazed, honestly, like yep. five and a half billion, that mine's gonna need at least probably another two to get it into production. You know, they're, they're saying the lithium price is stronger for longer, for sure, because um, otherwise that just doesn't make sense. So I'll, I'll go a hold, Nadine. Um, and, you know, mineral resources probably is the one I'm still a buy. If you wanna throw another couple of names out there, and Wes Farmers is one that, you know, if you're really yeah. wanting to be more conservative, but you want some exposure to lithium, their Mount Holland asset, which will come online next year, will be the seventh or eighth biggest um, mm -hmm. lithium mine globally. And uh, it's gonna be like a step change for Wes Farmers in their future earnings. So that's one, you know, like a Sol Pats, I guess with a new hope where yeah. you can look at and think, I don't want the volatility, but I do want some lithium exposure. Good, and a bonus buy would be mineral resources, mineral resources in that space, yeah. but you're not suggesting buying a miner for its dividend. No, you wouldn't do that. Uh, you gotta be <laughs> careful, like don't, 
yeah. think it's predictable in yeah. perpetuity. All yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Rio Tinto. Now that we're on the topic of miners, yeah, uh, maybe I'll phrase it a little bit differently. Yeah. You know, if you've got to buy on BHP, would you buy Rio? Uh, I hold Rio. I'll, I'll go a bit quicker on this one because I, I think we can get into some others. But look, ten point six times. 5.8% fully franked on forward numbers. It's almost identical valuation to BHP. Scott's right, BHP is a better company. It's more diversified. It's got higher quality assets and I think it's got a better management team. So it's just, for me, it's just a preference. Like Rio is probably cheap enough and it's got that China exposure and I'm, I'm probably a bit more bullish on, on commodities than others are. So I think, you know, maybe it is, but I'd rather buy BHP okay. to go hold. Scott Phillips, Motley Fool, buy, hold, or sell Rio Tinto? Yeah, Ben's done a beautiful job of illustrating exactly the, the, the case for, for Rio. Um, it, is a, it is a lower quality, slightly higher risk because of its uh, concentration than BHP, but it's not that much different price-wise. So it's probably second on the list between those two, and maybe even by a decent margin, actually. I think I probably like BHP a, a decent amount more. But it's not, it's not so expensive that you need to sell it. I wouldn't be buying it now. Um, I think there's other places to put your money. But if you like BHP, you probably like Rio. If you like them both, there's no reason not to hold them both. Again, in a diversified portfolio, it's a very decent price, a nice bit of income. The future's going to be volatile, maybe on the upside, maybe on the downside. Uh, we'll find out in time. But if you, if you like it and you own it, I think it's definitely worth holding. I wouldn't run in and buy it now. I don't think the, the, the time is right or the price is right. Uh, ben may be right, by the way. I, I could be completely wrong. It's partly a too hard basket view for me. Uh, but yeah, it's done a very, very mm -hmm. good job. I think I, BHP Rio Fortescue, super, super low cost iron ore production. That is just a, a fantastic competitive advantage versus the rest of the market. Um, uh, so that they are not, no miner is safe almost by definition, yeah. uh, but they are super high quality, super large scale, very well run each of them. Uh, so I, I don't okay. own four scores, as I said, but Rio is a hold for me. Got it. Let's get on to a different sector, shall we? To Megaport <laughs> MP1. So Ben, I mean, this is a company that um, was a market darling for a while. Then, yeah. well, we know what happened with tech. Yeah. But then, you know, its long-term CEO stood down and you got to wonder what's going on at Megaport when you have that happen with a little uh, heads up to the market yeah. and things have been really uncertain since. Yeah. Do you still believe in the long-term story of Megaport? Oh, or did you ever? I, I never have, okay. but I, I have had a lot of people who are much smarter than me in the technology space tell me that their technology is really game-changing and amazing. And I think this is like a classic case where you know, a lot of, I think, very good fundies own this stock and yeah. it's institutionally very well held, yeah. which is unusual given what you've seen the share price do there. Not that, you know, we don't get it wrong, but you, you, they've stuck with it. Well, is, I guess. there has been some trimming and one of those fundies that was trimming yeah. um, was Firetrail Investments. Yeah. And I spoke with Kyle last week and he, yeah. he still said that they're very... Um, big believers in the long-term story, but they yeah. did need to, you know, adjust their weightings to yeah. the risk. It's but, a tricky one, you know. Nadine. Like, I, okay, so you, you, you've got potentially a great technology platform, and I can understand that they've probably spent a lot of money building that out. Now they're starting to get the sales. But the thing I'd say is the CEO's resigned, CFO's just resigned. Mm -hmm. Bevan Slattery, was, who was the founder, was selling pretty aggressively not that long ago his personal shares. He's now running the company before another CEO comes in. To me, as an outsider, they've constantly on a quarterly basis missed their sales numbers. Like the share price reaction, I can't remember a decent one for a while. They burnt $25 million in net cash last half. They've got 57 in the tin. That's starting to look skinny to me. So um, 
I'm going to go sell. You know, it's still... I, I want to see the sales numbers start to tell you that what they're saying about the tech is matching mm-hmm. up. If the tech is that good, they should be blowing the doors off in terms of selling. Show me the money, right, Scott? You can talk about technologies and we can have people smarter than us that actually use the technologies way in. But if the numbers mm-hmm. aren't proving the story as an investor, what do you do? You had me at hello, Nadine, to uh, throw another Jeremy Maguire reference at you. <laughs> uh, look, it's, um, I, I'm going to actually take a very opposite view to Ben with a massive caveat. I'm going to say it's a buy, but this is a very, very high risk you know, uh, execution. Ben's talked about the cash burn, the amount of cash in the tin, the fact they haven't been able to hit their numbers. Those things are all very, and frankly, CEO, CFO going. They're very, very, very red flags, right? And so I, I don't blame anybody for saying, hey, I, I'm out of here. The flip side is they've managed to take sales from $0.04 cents a share to $0.70 cents a share over the last 10 years while increasing the share count by more than two times. So that growth has been phenomenal. They're missing their forecasts. I, I hate companies that provide guidance generally, which is almost all of them. So uh, that's just life, right? But giving the guidance, you, you create the circumstances for yourself that causes uh, that, that sort of share price response. You said you do X. You only you did fantastically well. It's not as fantastic well as you said you would. Therefore, I'm disappointed. If they just shut up and done their job, I, I don't know whether the share price would be any different, but it probably wouldn't have been as volatile. This was a $21 share price 18 months ago. Uh, now down to under five bucks. It's been an extraordinary fall from grace. But if you believe in the story, the sales growth says, we have a technology, it is working, our customers like it, we are continuing to get traction. If that continues, and Bevan Slattery, by the way, knows Slout, she's done an amazing job over multiple companies in his time. Uh, if, you, if you're prepared to have a very high risk investment in your portfolio, the technology is amazing. Frankly, not only the technology, the financial engineering, you get to sell the same thing three or four times. It's timeshare units, right, in, 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 a, in a cable. Uh, it, it's an amazing, amazing bit of technology and an amazing business model, more importantly, even more importantly from the, from the customer's perspective. So for me, as long as that sales momentum continues at a decent clip, I'm not worried about the guidance. They should just stop giving guidance. They're, they're killing themselves and killing the market. Stop giving guidance. Just keep executing on this business. It is so cheap now. I think if you like what they're doing, you think they can make this work, it's worth significantly more than the current share price. Uh-huh. If they screw it up, they run out of cash, they go broke, they lose too many people, there's some mismanagement, it could be worth zero or pretty close to it. This is a very, very, very wide range of outcomes. Don't buy this one for the retirement portfolio. Don't buy this one for income. Don't buy this one if you don't sleep well at night, if your share price is volatile. Uh, but I think they have a better than average chance. If I could buy 10 of these, uh, different different sorts of businesses with that with this profile, I think we'd make some decent money out of that. Is this one of them? Is this one of the winners or one of the losers? I don't okay. know. So again, it could go to zero. Uh, wow. But for mine, I think it's a it's a it's a risk adjusted wise. I think it's a, it's a, it's a bet worth making, okay. knowing it could work out badly. So that's a buy. But he just said it could go to yep. zero. Anyways, we'll we'll make sense yeah, of totally. that because I'd like to get on to the next stock. The next stock is Supply Network SNL. I love this, Ben. Looked yeah. on their website, find out what they do, because this is not one of the you know no, bigger names. This is this is the first uh, one I had to really do yeah. some work into. And it it's says, an easy in day. simple terms, we sell truck and um, bus parts. Yeah, and you know, like I, I read some because I hadn't come across this business. So they've been on the market since 1987, mm-hmm. I think it was. Been an awesome performer, um, and I read some of the updates and it. The way they were written, I think you can get a lot out of that. It wasn't flashy presentations and power decks and you know all of these kind of things that you do see a lot of. 
It was just, this is what we're hoping to do with the business. This is what we've done in the last year. This is how we've managed it. And these are the goals we're setting ourselves. And two-pager. You know, refreshing. We're, we're, yeah, we're <laughs> very refreshing. And it's like, you know, I remember like Reese and ARB Corp and um, Solpats and Brickies, you know, a number of these businesses where they keep a low profile and they just they just stick to what they're doing and they just regularly give the market updates. And the issue, Nadine, with this one is it's so illiquid. It's yeah. um, my interest was peaked, but then I saw there was 3,017 shares in the entire market to buy at the moment. So what do you do? You know, and that's partly because the, um, the guys running the company have got very large holdings, which is something we always want to see and we look for. So that's a tick. It's trading on 19 times forward, three and a half percent fully franked. Um, varies. They've had three upgrades, I think, in the last 12 months. Everything's looking quite nice there, but it's too illiquid. Mm-hmm. Can't do it. So it's a hold. Potential lobster trap hold. If you've got it, you're lucky to have it potentially. Scott, is that how you see it? Uh, yes and no. So Ben is absolutely 100% right. I would say this is a buy for a very small portion of your portfolio because you are effectively now a permanent shareholder of the company because, <laughs> for all those reasons, right? So if, if you, you know, look, I think that's okay. You know, if I, if I never got to share some of my Berkshire shares, my Sol Pat shares, I'd be pretty happy with that. Uh, if I never got to some of my Megaport shares, I'd have an issue with that. I'd like to be able to get out at the wrong time if I, if I needed to. So, uh, you know, if, if you buy these, you are literally in, not only Ben's point was that, so there's now three and a half thousand shares available for sale. $12.30 is the current share price. You buy them at twelve fifty one, there's thirteen shares. Four hundred shares are twelve eighty four, or twelve dollars ninety, is the, is the only available decent supply. So even even the ones you can buy are still meaningfully above what five percent above the current traded price. So you know, yeah, if you if you're buying this one, you are literally assume you're in for life. If you get a chance to get out, if you want to, then good luck to you. Um, that's not always a great way to invest. And again, keep a keep a sense of how this fits in your portfolio. This business is sensational. They have three x profit in the last uh, four or five years. Um, they they continue to just grind away and do incredibly well. I love Ben's examples. This is another one of those. Um, I'd happily have one percent of my portfolio in this business, but I, you know, you you'd, you'd buy it. You you'd take the sell button off the screen and say, I'm I'm you know I'm 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 hooking my wagon up here, and what I get is what I get. That's not everybody's style. I think it's objectively a buy based on the, the potential of the business and the current share price. Uh, but Ben's absolutely right to say, if you can't sell it, you're not happy with that. It's a hold okay. at best. If you own it, you're probably going to hold it because you can't sell it anyway. Um, so look, I think I think it qualifies, it justifies a buy, mm-hmm. but that incredibly large asterisk around, you're probably there for life. So, so buy very carefully, yep. buy very slowly and know what you're in for. Got it. Thank you. All right. Cube Logistics, QUB, is the lucky last on the list. Recently came out saying that it would be acquiring land for the development of a new freight intermodal terminal. Had a pretty strong result that came out most recently. Scott, just a few thoughts on Cube and concluding with buy, hold, or sell. Okay, nice and easy. Um, Cube has done very poorly earnings-wise over the last 10 years. Super volatile with an overall downward trend. The return on equity now is under 5%, uh, hasn't been above 10% any year in the last 10 except for one, way back in 2015. Uh, if the company can't make that sort of return, you're not going to make that sort of return. This is a business that I wouldn't put my enemy's money into. Uh, I don't hate the operating business, but the returns for shareholders are abysmal. It's a sell. You want to sell Cube? Yes. Ben, final word on Cube. Go and buy. 
you're going by. ROE is low sure. because this is a very capital. You know, they own a lot of they own a lot of assets. They've got three billion dollars in net assets on their balance sheet um, and a five billion dollar market cap. So I think if you strip that out, but you know, very strong result. The, the like thirty percent plus earnings growth. Dividend was up twenty five percent. Leverage is low, twenty percent leverage ratio. Then typically track between thirty and forty. Um, and I think they're guiding for a stronger second. They, half, they upgrade a four-year guidance. Um, you know, all this internodal. They own this big property thing in Moorbank, which they sold for a, a squillion dollars to Logos. And um, you know, I think so. What are those assets worth? You know, that's a big question. You want to try and do a bit of work on, but. Um, I reckon you've got the the mark. This this stock jumped hard on the result, and I reckon the market's fading the share price because it doesn't like the outlook for the economy because mm-hmm. it is focused, on, you know. But I reckon it's an opportunity. I'm going to buy. Got it. So we've ended with a sell from Scott Phillips and a buy from Ben. That's fun. That always makes for a good program. Let me just wrap up what we've learned in case you missed it from that second half. Uh, Pilbara, it's a sell. It's just the two hard basket for Scott Phillips, but it's a hold for Ben, but he says in that space, he'd actually prefer mineral resources. So consider that your bonus buy. Rio, a hold from both of my guests. Megaport, you just heard them talking about it. Again, real difference in opinion. Buy for Scott Phillips, sell for Ben Clark. Uh, when we talk supply networks, both of them, you know, happy to have this put on the radar, but it's just a bit illiquid. You have to be very, very careful. Still, Scott would buy it with eyes wide open. Uh, ben says, if you're in it, just hold it, be happy. Um, Cube Logistics, a sell for Scott. It's a buy for Ben. Scott, what's a buy for you? You should go and buy corporate travel management. This is a business that is projecting to do 30% more at the bottom line than it did pre-COVID. The shares are still trading at a discount to the pre-COVID price. Uh, this is a good business with organic growth and acquisition growth potential. I own shares, full disclosure. I have for years. Uh, Jamie Ferris, one of the best in the business, a great corporate culture, really disciplined acquisition, great integration success over time. Uh, I think it's too cheap to ignore. You look at the historical fundamentals, it looks ordinary, which is why people are worried about it. Once it starts delivering actual results, I think the market will probably look at it again. So uh, a buy for me, corporate travel management, CTD is the code. Got it. If you want to know what Ben is buying or what he'd be willing to put some money towards, you can watch this episode of the Investment Committee 415 today. It will be published online as catch up after that. How do you like that promo? And very, very big thanks to our guest, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. As usual, great to have your views. Ben Clark from TMS Capital, as always, thank you. And a special shout out to Dan Nikolovsky and the ANZ NZX Stock Investors Facebook group. We really do hope you enjoyed the program. If you haven't watched before, we hope you will watch again. And hey, why not tell your friends about us? Any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email. As always, the call at ausbiz.com.au. We're also on Twitter at TV. Stay with us. It's not over yet. Andrew Gagan will take you through the pulse next. Mm-hmm.